Hey everyone, welcome back to the OPEX podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Mike Robertson from Robertson Training Systems and from iFast, Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training. On this episode, Mike and I discuss program design, owning and running a fitness business, and work-life balance. Guys, this was a great conversation with Mike. I know you're going to love it. Stick with us. Mike Robertson, you absolute legend. Thank you <laughs> so, so much for making time to speak of with course. me today. I, listen, and it's so funny. I say this to a lot of people like, I understand you're busy, but I really don't. Like, you know, people can be just yeah. faking that they're busy, but I've been around you, man. I've been in the past. <laughs> you are busy. You are like yeah. busy. Like, you're not one of these guys who's only online. You're not one of these guys who's also only in the trenches. You're not also yeah. one of these guys who's just a family guy. You've got yeah. all of that stuff going on. So I really do appreciate you making time. Dude, my pleasure, man. So excited to chat with you and great to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. So Mike, no, no one that's going to be listening to this won't know who you are. And if you don't know who Mike Robinson is, you need to find out. You'd be living under a rock. <laughs> so just for anyone listening, you, Eric Cressy, and Mike Boyle, my three biggest influences when I first became a coach. I was one of those... Awesome. Nation, you know, I was like, yeah. has Robertson got a new article? Has Eric? Has Mike? So yeah. I was reading your articles. And it's funny because as I got to see you progress over the years, uh, like it was funny because your initial like articles on Teenage were a lot to do like with, and I know, I know you might like this, like corrective exercise. And oh, you, yeah. And you got brushed with this sort of corrective exercise type of, you know, um, title like. And it yep. was funny because it was kind of like, you know, Mike Boyle's sort of similar in a way that like, you know, he feels like he almost has to like tell people, no, no, we actually like lift weights and get strong. <laughs> right. it, it was kind of like a Mike Robinson on the corrective mobility guy. And it was like, yeah, you know, Mike Robinson's a powerlifter too. Like, you know, like, yeah, I, that's how I overcorrected. Right. So instead of just being like corrective exercise and mobility, well, I'm going to go try and deadlift three times body weight to, to overcompensate for this. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. So like, uh, listen, wanted to get you on today. Um, to discuss three main topics. So the first one was program design. Um, And then second one was business, running a business, the whole sort of art and science around that, if you like hiring individuals and just everything that goes on advice with people. And then the third topic was, you know, as they joked in their email, the sort of dreaded work-life balance. And the reason why I said like the dreaded is because I could see like some people, like they roll their eyes, like there's no such thing, it's bullshit. But I really do want to get your thoughts on that and and how you work that um, into your life, basically, because I've heard you talk about it sometimes in your own podcast. Um, With program design, Mike, I'm a program design nerd. You're a program design nerd. It was actually how we first interacted. Remember I sent you an email years ago, you were coming over to a seminar in Ireland. It was actually for your... um, 101 um, and yeah, physical prep 101 physical yeah. prep 101 fantastic seminar you did here in ireland in um in elite fitness reforms academy at the time i think they were still lia but uh their elite fitness reforms coming out it was a great seminar and you can actually if anyone goes to the landing page there you'll see a robbie burke giving a testimonial oh yeah um but that was a great seminar and before you came over i'd emailed you and we, we we emailed back and forth a little bit about like sort of our philosophies when it came to you know just physical preparation and yep. we both realized we had a you know a god if you like for program design or a love for it so mike my question to you is with program design what are like what have you changed over the years? What have you learned? And what are the sort of common sort of mistakes you see young coaches make in their program design or even any other programs that you've seen come across your way? Because I know you get a lot of athletes maybe from 
you know, external sort of um, sporting organizations and not saying now that people that they're working with don't know what to wrap but you know just common mistakes you see from young coaches or from just other programs yeah let's start with the biggest mistakes I see and I think the biggest mistake that I see out of young coaches these days is there's no really clear theme like what they want to accomplish in a session right so when you look at a program like if I got a program from you I think I'd have a very clear understanding just by going through it like oh this is what Robbie's trying to achieve on this day, or this is the primary focus of this day. And sometimes it's as simple as like labeling linear day. And then yeah, like it just streamlines your thoughts, right? Versus young coaches, they don't, they don't think through that same lens. They just think in exercises or they think in terms of, I like doing this. So I'm going to put this in the workout. So they don't really have this streamlined approach to this is what I want to accomplish on this day. So they don't, they don't reverse engineer the day. They just think, oh, I love these exercises, so I'm going to include them, right? So that's one of the big things that I always ask them is, okay, what is the one thing? If you only got one thing accomplished on this day, what would it be? And if you start to think in that fashion, it makes everything you do from a programming perspective so much easier. Now you're not chasing eight or 10 objectives in one training session. It's like, hey, I got this one. And then if there's maybe something answer ancillary that I want to fit in there as well, then that's fine. But at least it's very clear. Here's my one. And speaking of the old T Nation days, I'm reminded of Dan John when he used to talk about like the prison workout, right? Or the 15 minute workout. Like if you're in prison and you have 15 minutes to work out, you're not banging out like wrist curls and calf raises. You're going to do something big bang, right? You're going to squat or you're going to bench press. You're going to deadlift. If you're an athlete, you're going to sprint or change direction. You're going to do the most impactful thing that you can in that 15 minutes. So I'll use that same analogy with young coaches as well. It's like, look, if you only had 15 minutes to get a session in and you want to get a training effect, what would you do? And then it really starts to give them like this laser-like focus when they write a program. So that's what I would say to young coaches is be really clear on what you want to achieve and then reverse engineer it from there. As far as what I've changed you know, I think you and I are at a point where we've got the core philosophy down, right? And you and I write programs very similarly. I've seen yours, you've seen mine. But I think the thing that I'm always trying to do is smooth out how a program flows, not only from day to day, but week to week and month to month. I think too often if things are really abrupt, right? So like, let's say month one, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to run an accumulation block. I'm going to build some tissue quality, you know, I'm going to get some tissue resiliency build up. And then from there, I'm going to go straight into a max strength phase. That's really abrupt when you think about it, right? Like that's really abrupt on the system. And then let's say that next block, you're like, okay, I've got all the strength that I need. Now I'm just going to go like really like lightweight speed, power explosiveness. Well, now we've got this other really big or abrupt shift in emphasis. So I think the thing that I'm trying to do and the thing that I've tried to do for the last couple of years is make all of these like phase transitions smoother. So the athlete never feels like this abrupt. Oh, wow. We just went from like, for lack of a better description, like 70, 75% of our training max to like 95, mm. right? I don't want them to feel like that because that's jarring to their system. So I want to gradually kind of build them up and ramp them up when it's time to work heavier then I want to progressively work them back down so that by the time they go to camp, 
yeah, they've been through all those phases. We've touched on all those things, but now they feel fast. They feel explosive. They feel like their strength is where it needs to be. Their conditioning is at an appropriate level. So I think that's been the biggest thing for me is constantly trying to blend and smooth these phase transitions. And then dabbled into that is always trying to better understand the sport and the athletes that I'm working with. So, I mean, we both worked with a lot of footballers in the day. So, you know, when I was doing that, it's trying to understand, okay, what are the needs and the demands of their sport? What kind of runs are they making? If they change direction, how does that look? Now that I'm working more with basketball, it's really trying to dive in and understand, okay, when I'm working with the skills guy, what, what positions do they need to get into to execute this move? And then again, it's reverse engineering it, right? So now how can I create exercises or how can I introduce that either on the court or in the weight room so that they can get into those positions more effectively? So I think those are some of the things that I'm always working on. You know how it goes. It's never a finished product where you're just like, you know, set it on the wall and you're good. It's constantly trying to figure out, okay, how can I take what I'm doing and make it a little bit better? This is going to sound like a bit of a silly question, um, but it's been in my mind too. Just, just from a definition standpoint, when I say program, sorry, that was a great answer, by the way. So this is completely separate to what you've just yeah, said. No, that's fine. But when I say program design, what comes into your mind? And I tell you just program design to me is always like the structure of a program. Whereas periodization or organization is more like the micro cycle, the meso cycle, the macro cycle, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But yeah. I often see people saying program design and they kind of mean periodization. So just, yeah. just for you, I, I just want to know where you are with that. Like how do you just differentiate those uh, definitions? In your head? I know it's going to be different for different people, but I suppose that's one sort of frustrating thing about sports science and physical preparation is, you know, there is no really good terminology in our field. Yes. Yet. I, and I suppose it's because our field is so young and it's in its infancy, but like, I mean, physicists speak the same language, whether they're German or Japanese or from America or England, because they speak through maths and right. like, doctors have a very sort of standardized medical terminology but so just with regards to program design and periodization what exactly do those, do those terms mean to you and what terminology do you like to use with regards to this whole sort of topic yeah so when i think program design i'm thinking more like one training block or one mesocycle okay right um and when i think like periodization i'm thinking how a series of programs or a series of blocks kind of work seamlessly together to get us to our end goal so that's how I think about it. But I use, I think I use the pretty standard terminology. When I think microcycle, I'm thinking like a training week. Hmm. When I'm thinking mesocycle, and I use mesocycle and training block kind of interchangeably, but that's like yeah. that two to six week phase. And then your macrocycle is, and in my terminology, that's like an off season, right? So that's a series of mesos linked together to try and give you the end goal, which is, in my case, it's having an athlete that is, like we talked about, fast, powerful, explosive, strong, well-conditioned, resilient when they go into training camp. So that's kind of how I define it and how I lay it out. Sweet. So a question I really want to ask you too, again, maybe because me and you have very similar sort of um, philosophies and principles, particularly principles, I suppose. Well, philosophies and principles, yeah. how, how we program. Say you, you have an athlete and, you know, from a physical quality standpoint or their physical capacities, they're very well-versed nearly all the physical capacities let's just say and where they really spend the majority of time is actually more on their sports skill how would you go about that with an athlete yeah that's a great question so one of the things that i've really had to come to grips with is the fact that when you're coaching power lifters or gin pop in the gym you are the show 
right? You are like the end goal, yeah. right? You are the beginning and the end versus when I'm with an athlete, I'm always support staff. And, and that's something that a couple of people, when I think Ramsey Nijem, Chris Chase, um, Daniel Bove, these are three guys that have been on my podcast recently, all in the NBA. You know, they've kind of reiterated that point. And it's something that I kind of come to grips with over the last couple of years anyways, because mm. look, at the end of the day, here's how I think about it. Joey Burton is the skills guy that I work with for basketball. My whole job is to give him the most complete athlete possible, yeah. right? So an athlete that can run equally quickly, uh, starting off both legs. They can jump off both legs equally well. They can shuffle equally well to their right or their left. Basically, an athlete that doesn't have weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, movement weaknesses is how I would describe that, not like physical weaknesses. Get you, and so that's the way I think about it. It's like, how can I give this guy the the athlete that is the most adaptable on the court? Very good. So then when they go on the court, anything he needs them to do, like, hey, you're the skills guy. Like, there are certain elements that I may look for um, when I'm watching somebody move, but it's like, hey, my job is to give you the most resilient, robust, adaptable athlete possible. So when you go on the court, now you just have to have the right skills coach or the right skills trainer they can break down your movement. They know the ins and outs of the sport and they know how you go about executing the actual sporting skill. So I'm not sure if that totally answers your question, no. but that's how I think of my role in that situation. I'm far more support staff than I am, mm. you know, the guy. That uh, that last interview you did with Chris was brilliant. Really, really enjoyed Thank you. that. I listened to that one. So it was yeah, very, he's very awesome. Good. Great dude. By the way, how's, uh, how's your, gr your grilling going? Oh, the grilling is fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have to show you. I made some amazing ribs the other day. So Great stuff. the grilling game is definitely improving. So for, for the listeners to understand that joke, you'll have to listen to the podcast, Mike do with Chris, <laughs> and listen to the intro. I'll link it so you'll get that joke. <laughs> I have two more questions on program design here. And okay. we'll move into business. Um, we, we'd be both, we, we would have been both fairly influenced by Alvar Meal's sort of model of programming. Um, and what I loved about Al's model when I first learned it was, oh, Al's model is so logical. Yes. He tests and he goes, that's where you're most weak. That's where we need to focus. So it's a real focused program design model. Yep. Uh, com uh, in comparison, sort of the old school will always go through this recycled sort of, you know, um, cycle of going through accumulation, intensification, and then, you know, yeah. uh, a power block, you know, so it could be hypertrophy, strength, power, again, accumulation, intensification, and taper. But my question to you then is, Mike, because I've thought about this too, let's say you, you bring an athlete through your assessment model to, to, to see where their weaknesses are, be that, you know, from a physical capacity standpoint, so whether that's like, you know, neuromuscular or energy system-wise, or even from, you know, going through then your movement model to see where that movement-wise and let's just say on that hierarchy, they're deficient in a fairly higher order physical capacity. So like a power output or a, you know, speed, linear speed or multidirectional. And they're, they're fairly strong and they don't, you know, body comp's good. And from a muscular hypertrophy standpoint, they're fine. And you only have a certain amount of time, let's say like six weeks with them. And you want to like really work on what they're most efficient in. But again, like, okay, let's say it is power or speed you really can't get that person right power speed from day one, even though it's right. their deficiency, you know, do you still do maybe, is it just a week of, you know, a little bit of general prep or how do you go about that? So maybe explain to listeners too, like your assessment model and sort of maybe, you know, this idea of instead of like 
cycling through like a classical it's always going to be high volume followed by strength followed by power what i like to do because we only have such a such a small period of time with people is focus on what they need filled in quickly but at the same time we still need to respect that yeah they do need to work on that but we still need to ease into that if that kind of makes sense how how do you go about that in your own mind because it's just something i wrestle with too it's like and i'm sorry i I know i speak a lot but just kind of get the full point across you know i I might have a guy for only four weeks even or six weeks or you know maybe eight weeks and i see that you know that okay this guy's strong he's pretty powerful elastic reactive strength needs a bit of work so we can focus on that Speed needs a bit of work, folks, on that, but I can't like throw him straight into that from day one. Even though he has the supporting qualities, like he's, we still need a little bit of you know GPP, if you want to put it that way. How do yeah. you wrestle with that? Okay, so this is a fantastic question, and it's a very real question because a lot of times we get caught up in, oh, well, when I have this 12-week block, these are the exact phases. Well, look, sometimes it doesn't work like that, right? Um, that sounds great when you're doing a case study or when you're putting this beautifully designed uh, macro cycle structure together for the internet. But sometimes you're right. Sometimes you have four to six weeks. So I think here's the big differentiating factor to me. It comes down to what were they doing before? How much time have they had off? And what level do they need to be at going back? So here's what I mean by that. I'm going to give you two different examples. Let's take the guy that's trying to make the team, right? This dude's in a totally different situation. So if you've got six weeks with this guy, he's just trying to make the team. It's like all hands on deck. You've got to get this guy ready to go. So as you alluded to, I'm probably going to take two weeks, right? Even if I've got six, I'm probably going to take two weeks because I got to make sure they're moving the way that I want. There's, there's time that I'm going to need to teach them the movement skills necessary, right? So like if somebody has a movement deficiency as far as how they're doing the actual movement or skill. They were going to have to work on that. And then those other four weeks, then we can really dial it down and figure out, okay, we've got to hit power hard with this guy or whatever the case may be. So that's one example. Now on the flip side of that, what I've had sometimes is athletes where legitimately I have a four week off season. And I don't know how much you see this uh, in, in your world because I know every section of the world and different sports have different calendars, but I'll give you an example. And I can talk about him now because he's retired. Chad Marshall. This dude played, he started camp in January for the MLS. Best team in the league. They go all the way to MLS Cup. They played MLS Cup on January, or excuse me, December 9th or somewhere in that range, right? So this dude's been playing literally all year. They win. He comes back that next week and he immediately gets notified that he's coming into January camp for the U.S. men's national team. So the dude had a three and a half week off season. All right. So now here's what's unique about that. He's been playing that whole time. So all I'm trying to do in that four week block is just build tissue resiliency back. Right. So we're going to go in the gym and we're going to run that accumulation block because he's not, he doesn't even have time to actually detrain some of those physical qualities, right? Like the aerobic stuff, the speed power stuff. And I know I'm going to get some of that back as soon as he goes back on the pitch. So it comes back to where were they at? What were they doing before? Where do they need to be on the back end of that? But that's two like totally different examples that show you like the thought process. Like it's a great question and you just don't know until you kind of know where this person's at, where they've been and where they need to be. Yeah, it's a great answer. Again, it's because Al's model, you know, when you, when you initially come across, like makes perfect sense. But then like you're still like, yeah, even though this guy, he's shown that he has competency in this quality, 
that that supports a quality that he's not quite competent in and that we do need to yeah. work on. He still needs to actually just have a little bit of top-up or introduction with these qualities that he's familiar with yes. or that he is competent in. And that's kind of where I've been going, but that's a great answer. Thank you. I really want to get your thoughts on this. Okay. Transfer of training. Oh my gosh. Because, yes. because, because, <laughs> Mike, again, me and you were so similar in programming too. And then, like, I'm talking to Sean Miska and I'm like, Sean, what does this look like? Right. <laughs> you know, because I think me and you were like, again, because our program uh, philosophy and, and principles and the way we write our programs, like, man, remember that time I sent that email? I was like, this is freaky. We, yeah. We, we were even like using Word at the time. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like, it's like, you know, we kind of like to think in these, you know, we're sort of concrete, I think, in a way, in our, yeah. in our thinking. Like, and then, like you know, you hear the transfer training from guys like Joseph Johnson and uh, Jeff Moyer, and then obviously Sean, like, has been huge for me. Like, and then yeah. you get the likes of Cam Joss now, who's who's been very influenced too by, um, by Sean. And again, a great interview you do with Sean Miska as well. Um, how has transfer of training, you know, influenced your program, or how are you wrestling with that right now? Yeah. So. Another great question. So one of the things that I've gotten really comfortable with is the fact that a lot of the stuff, probably 80% of the stuff that we do in the weight room is general. It is general in nature. And again, it is supportive in nature. So I'm okay with that. So I'm not going to just say, oh, well, everything that I do has to transfer to the sport. Like I'm building general quality. Sometimes I'm building general movement quality. And we could get into a whole discussion about that term and how vague that is but you know teaching people how to move more effectively i think there's a huge benefit to that and that's where the weight room lies the big impact that this has made for me is starting to blend like the r4 the reactive stuff that i do maybe i've started to get away from just pure hey we're gonna do some jumps and we're gonna do some med ball throws maybe it is gonna be really general like that in the early off season, but as we transmute, as we get closer to the actual preseason, now it, I'm okay. And I'm comfortable enough now, like, Hey, if it's a basketball player, we're going to go on the court and I'm going to show you how, Hey, when we do this exercise with a med ball where you're hitting the ground and there's a little bit of bend in your ankle and your knee, but it's pretty stiff. And then you're going to push off. This is how this carries over to this move in basketball. So we may actually work on it a little bit there. And I'll tell them, look, I'm not your skills coach, but I'm watching how you actually execute the movement. And then when you go down here and you work with Joey, we're going to smooth it out. So that's how I think of it now is, yeah, you know, look, I understand transfer is like the new hot thing. It's like everything that we do, right? Like everybody has this one thing, perception, action, coupling, you know, uh, self-organization, all these new terms that we hear, that's great, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's so many things that we can do that can be beneficial. And you don't have to be a sports, sports skill coach, but understand the needs and the demands of your sport. Start to incorporate elements of that, even if it's not perfect, when you're, you know, doing your speed and agility work, when you're in the gym, you know, it's not going to look and feel exactly the same. It's not supposed to, yeah. right? But I think one of the, the most important things that we do beyond just transferring is we give people buffer zones, nice. right? And that's something we haven't talked about in a while. And I think it's a hugely impactful thing. Hey man, you know, you're probably in basketball, never going to get into a full deep lunge position. Does that mean a deep lunge isn't important or isn't impactful? I think there's a lot of benefit to that as far as teaching basic deceleration skills, making sure they have adequate range of motion. So even if they never go into that court, the fact that they have that motion, that they have that control, that they have that strength, 
that's hugely impactful for our athletes. Man, that's a great answer. And uh, it reminds me of Charlie Francis too, because when, when I wrestle sort of with that transfer training idea, you know, there's this at one end, there's like, listen, just keep all your training general. And then at the other end, let the specific training take care of the specific training, which is kind yeah. of where, where Charlie came from. And, uh, and then like, you know, I suppose a lot of Franz Bosch's influences kind of come into the world. And I had a great conversation with a guy called Tom Tomlinson, who visited Altus when I interned there. And Tom was involved okay. with uh, the English Rugby Union. He was involved with the strength and conditioning staff with English Rugby. I think he's still there as far as I know. But he made a good point. He's like, he's like right, you have, you have um, general at one end and you have specificity at the other. And he's like, to him, to Tom, he was like, the more general, the more we can build physical capacity because we can load that stuff more, whether it's in terms of loading it strength and velocity. And this was his belief. He's like, let's just get as good and as strong and as powerful as fast as we can with our general training. And he says, let's specific train, take care of specific. He felt that with Franz's stuff, it, was, it wasn't specific enough to get total transfer to the actual specificity of the sport. And it was too specific to load it to get yeah. any sort of you know, quantitative development of any, on any quality you were looking at, whether it be strength or power or speed, et cetera. So that's one way to look at it. And that was kind of Charlie Francis' model too, is that like, yeah. If you talk, like, if you look at any of Charlie's old videos, and he was like, like that's why Ben Johnson did quarter squats and incline press. He was just like, we needed a strength stimulus. He's like, how general, Absolutely. like, how general is that? And I love the way he said too, like, it's nearly a dirty thing now to be like, oh, like we're just getting strong. Is it okay, like, to just squat and deadlift and just get strong? It's like, because again, the kind of pendulum has swung towards, oh, it's all about action coupling. And listen, I love, I love skill acquisition. Don't get me wrong, now, yeah. I, I, I've loved this hobby, but you're right, dude. The pendulum just, just swings. So it's it's refreshing to hear some say, listen, it's it's still okay to do general training and like get strong at yeah. basic movements. Yeah. It's it's not rocket science. And like you, I'm not against any of those buzzwords. It's just more the fact that they become these buzzwords that people just throw around in an effort to look intelligent. It's like, look, man, like sometimes we need to go back to basics with how we do things. And yeah, know all that stuff and understand how they make an impact. But at the same time, just know and understand training is a big spectrum. And no matter what we do as coaches, there's nothing more specific than playing the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just question there for you too. Um, I know Kier, like Kier Wyndham Flat, in terms of training transfer, like he kind of puts in like any of those sort of exercises he feel will have transfer right where you sort of said you're putting yours now. Is that something yep. you took from Kier yourself or? No, I think it's just, uh, it was just a natural progression. So yeah. I really like that. I really like that. Sorry, you know, I really like that, Mike. And the way he said, like, as you get closer, like sort of yeah. realization, you're kind of tapering it there. I like that. Absolutely. Because our goal is to get them ready to be on the court or on the pitch, right? Mm. So I think it, for me, it was just a natural element of when I was building out my training days, like let's say it's a lateral day for basketball, we might work on a lateral shuffle. So how are we going to build that skill? Well, we could start easy with like just band resisted sidestepping, teaching them the movement and the right starting position to be in, which you wouldn't think you'd have to teach, but you do. So we start with those basics and we're going to throw med balls and we're going to jump, but then, okay, well now how can we make this specific? Well, okay, let's get them out. And towards the end of the season, we want them to play basketball, make them play one-on-one and then put constraints on the game. Right? So maybe, Hey, we're just going to do, you have three dribbles max. So the offensive player has to either get a shot up or get to the basket. And the, the defensive player knows that they're not going to have to shuffle a bunch, but they're going to have to, you know, be in the right position. They're going to have to move quickly. So for me, it was just one of those things where 
hey, we're going to start general because a lot of times if they play in an NBA season, they probably played eight or nine months. Mm. Hey, we're going to start general. They don't want to have a basketball in their hands. They're not trying to just grind it out and play pickup. So let's work on these general basic movement skills while they're willing and able to do it. And then as they get closer to the season, now they're starting to get ready to, to gear up for the season. They're getting ready for camp. They're chomping at the bit to play. Well, now let's just take advantage of that. And now we can really take advantage of all those skills that we've acquired, all those movements and those physical qualities that we've acquired over the offseason, and we can see how they actually manifest when they go on the court. So that's what's been fun for me. And then it's like, hey, you remember this thing that we did way back in June? Now, do you feel the difference? Boom, that's where this actually transfers to you playing a game. Man, you're on fire today. You're giving, <laughs> you're giving great answers. I love it. I'll tell you one thing. There's one individual I just really need to just like set aside two weeks and just go over and just engorge myself in his, in his whole sort of transfer man. It's Lee. Oh yes. Do you ever just watch Lee Taft operate, man? It's just like, yes. he just, he just watches movement and then he's just like, you know, just come here a second. And he just does this little, like, and then like, like, you're like, how does he know that? And like, how did he just like, he's a genie. Like, you know how, you know how people like revere Charlie and rightfully so like Charlie was uh, genius i think lee taft is on that level i think he is and and it's a bold statement but man the stuff that he's talking about the things that he's espoused he's been doing this for so long Nine and he's years. still so far ahead of so many people it's amazing but i'm when he explains stuff to you too you're like so logical and you're just kind of like in your head Simple. going yes how did i not think about this like you know yes. just, yeah and, and he's just he's so humble too like he really yes. is he's just an absolute ledge one final thing, this isn't not a question, but just uh, it came into my mind too, just about like this sort of general training and then like this transfer training and everything has to be specific. Lauren Lando made a really good point um, to me at Altus. It wasn't specifically to me, like it was to the group. And we were sort of talking about, you know, uh, Sean Misker's work and, you know, this transfer training. It's funny because, yeah. you know, Dan was in the room and I love Dan because like, you know, he's at that age where he just really doesn't give a shit. Like, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> and, yeah. and, he's, and he's so intelligent too as well. Where like, you know, Dan, like his whole thing is like, oh, here, but it's just let everything self-organize. And he's just like, he's like, there's still a need to know fundamentals. You know what I mean? And right. like, he'd be like, you're not going to go into like, you know, algebra and not being able to like multiply beforehand. So like, you know, this sort of yeah. systematic education as Dan Chan would speak about. But going back to Lauren, he made a really good point. He's like, he's like yeah, I appreciate Sean's like, you know, you, like there has to be this self-organization. 100% agree. But he's like, there is also a benefit. And the reason this came to my mind is we said the deep lunge of the basketball player. He's like, the tissues, the joints, the capsules, the ligaments, you know, the, the muscular system, whatever. He's like, they still need to go through those forces from a mechanical standpoint. They need to be prepped from that standpoint too. And he's like, that's where we as, you know, physical preparation coaches make a lot of our bread and butter as well. Yeah. And that also needs to be appreciated. It's kind of like some people now getting into the skill act are kind of like, just like, has to be random. It's like, we still need to make sure the body is prepared. Like that's primarily our bread and butter, as he said. So when he said that, I was like, you know, that is actually a, you know, a fairly standard and, and good logical you know, defense for like why we still need to like do like because he was defending closed chain drills. Like, so like yeah. people were like saying, well, Why would you still do closed chain drills? Like, they don't transfer. And he's like, Lawrence, something is, I know they don't transfer to like open chain counting warrants, but he's like, I'm making sure that those tissues have experienced these forces and are ready when it when needs to be. So I just thought that very good. That's a, that's a brilliant point. Yeah. Cause the last thing, this is something that I put in the, not shameless plug here, but the complete coach cert. This is one of the big things I focused on is, hey man, 
one thing you always have to ask yourself, whether it's reactive work, whether it's conditioning work, whether it's strength work is what are the tissues prepared to deal with? Because we've seen it time and again, right? Somebody comes back too fast or they haven't done the right prep work. And then all of a sudden now it's a serious muscle pull or it's an ACL or it's an Achilles. You have to prepare the tissues for whatever the needs and the demands of the sport or activity they're going to partake in are. Absolutely. So moving on to business, Mike, um, when I was over last, you were just in the process of opening up IFAST 2.0. So I just want you, listen, this could be five minutes, could be 10 minutes, could be however long you want. Just you to like speak about your experience as a business owner and what advice would you give to people out there who actually have a business right now or who are looking to open a business um, and just as well, publicly while I'm here, I always, but I said it to you in an email after I came home last September from my fast, I need to apologize because <laughs> you were, you were in the middle like, of a really important business call and it was about the gym. Cause I could just got I could hear with the talk and I was absolutely starving. And I was there fiddling around with this bag, making loads. <laughs> I don't even remember that, man. And, uh, I remember it. And I was thinking, I must be wrecking Mike's head here. <laughs> I never got a chance to say, Mike, I'm sorry. Like, I would have just, so uh, I no, don't remember no. it's fun. But anyway, business, Mike. L- yeah. let, me, l- let us into your, your mind with this. So let me tell you, I'll give you kind of the backstory. I always felt like, for me, at least coming up, there was this like thought in our industry that if you didn't own a gym, that you somehow weren't legit, right? And, you know, I think that that isn't really something that you have to do anymore, you know? And, and Eric and I have talked about this, but it was like, that was the avenue, right? Like if you were going to put your stamp on the industry, you had to be a gym owner as well. And you know, they tell you this, but you know, when you are opening a gym, now you are forced to divide your energy, right? And the part of you that loves the technical side and the training and the X's and O's, that's fine, but you have to sacrifice part of that you because now you have to learn an entirely different skill set. You have to learn marketing and selling and client acquisition and building operations and all these other things. So the advice that I would give to somebody that doesn't own a gym is ask yourself, do you want to open a gym? And if you do, great. That's great. But don't feel like you have to. Like, I'm at a point where, yes, I love IFAST. I love our gym and everything that it stands for. But, you know, at the the end of the day, like, our gym will never be as successful business-wise as it probably could be as long as Bill and I are running it. Because Bill and I are technicians at heart. We are always going to care more about the training side, the coaching side, than we are the business side. So I just want to put that out there. Like, it's okay to not want to open a gym. Be selfish. Like, if you just want to be a great coach, be a great coach. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, if it's something where you are a gym owner, okay, now I would tell you, you got to, you live a double life, right? And you got to be okay with that too. So never forget what got you here, like your passion for coaching, your passion for training, don't let that slide. Hopefully you realize at this point in time, if you open a gym that, Hey, this thing's always changing, right? The industry's always changing. What's hot, the offerings. So you have to keep yourself up to date on the training side, but then you have to invest in yourself on the, the business side as well. And I think that's something that I did a little bit up front, you know, like the first, literally, I think either before I opened or right after I opened, I went to Alan Cosgrove's forget what it was. It was like 
something counting counting reps to counting paychecks or something like that. I don't remember. That wasn't the exact title. Re- revenue. What was it counting reps? Counting reps to counting revenue. That's it. Thank you. So I went to that course, hung out with Alan. Um, great guy. He's actually the guy that convinced me to open the gym way back in the day. But you've got to invest in that side of it. And you've got to have trusted people. Like, unfortunately, like there's just some, some shady dudes in like the business side of it, especially on the fitness business side. So like find reputable people. Alan Cosgrove is somebody that I think the world of. Pat Rigsby is somebody who's been our fitness business advisor since probably 2010. Mark Fisher, I think is a brilliant guy. Pete Dupuy with Cressy. Those are guys that you want to learn from. And I would just say like, do your homework. You need to invest in somebody. Just make sure it's the right person and it's somebody that fits you know, what you want to grow from a business model perspective and also somebody that you just jive with like personally and philosophically as well. Great stuff. And I just want to say too, you kind of hit another big rock there as well. You know, we sort of spoke on in the program design about, you know, it's okay to do general training. It's okay that you're a technician as well. It's kind of, I saw this trend of people going, oh, like, no, I don't coach anymore. All I do is the business. And it's like, and I can see that you hate it. Like, yeah, I just want to coach. It's like, well, then do that. Right, right. Bring someone, bring someone in from the outside that, that wants to do the business part. Or like, you know, they nearly kind of like, it's like these, they, they feel like, oh, it's the evolution, isn't it? You know, you, you work on yeah. the business and not in it anymore. It's like, man, if you love coaching, keep that in your daily regime or, or your weekly yeah. regime or within your lifestyle. It's kind of yeah. like, it's like a guilt thing. It's like, oh, you can't be the coach when you open the business. You know, so I'm just, I'm happy you kind of said it like, listen, we're technicians and we're proud of it. Yeah. I, I'm just at that point where I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow any person's advice blindly. I'm always going to take their advice. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to mull it over, spin it around in my brain, which may take a little bit longer than most, but then I'm going to figure out, okay, now how does this work for me? And how does this apply to the life and the business that I want to have? Because, you know, look, like I'm in a couple of different business groups and some of those guys are just like, I don't want to be known as the best coach. You're like, I just want to run a great business. That's totally cool. Like, there's no coaching award. Well, there probably is, but like, there's no like award for best strength coach on the planet. But if there was like, that's something I would want to buy for. Like I want to be a great technician. So just like be okay with what drives you and what keeps you excited about our industry. Don't feel like just because so-and-so did something that you have to do that as well. What have been the biggest business lessons though that you've learned, you know, anything. So I suppose things I'd love you to touch on too is like, you know, what, what have you learned from hiring? And um, what have you learned about interns? What have you learned from like, um, you know, front of house operations? Any any yeah. big rocks there you'd like to pass on? Well, I'm going to lump hiring and interns together. Um, so actually, I'm going to put interns first because interns kind of start the process for us. Uh, I would say other than one or two gentlemen, every person that we've hired into IFAST has been an intern. So the internship process for us is something that's really important. We look at that as our way of giving back. A lot of times, probably interns think of it as, oh, wow, they're getting free labor. Well, I hate to tell you, bro, but for the eight, first eight weeks, you're like dead weight. <laughs> you know, like we're coaching you up. We're getting you up to speed. We're unteaching you everything that you think you know. So really the last four to six, eight weeks, that's when you're valuable to us. So, but, but like that's, that's what we enjoy, right? We love taking these kids and oh, I've just been influenced by this random Instagram person, which, I mean, who would have thought we would have said that 10 years ago, right? It's like Instagram, like this is where people are getting their information from. It's like, okay, let's, let's deconstruct all this. Let's start over. Let's teach you 
what you need to know. And, and our internship process now is very detailed. Like week to week, we have a curriculum. You know, we're teaching on one day. They're teaching it back to us on another day. They're doing a program design defense. Like it's a very structured thing versus in 2008, if you came and interned at IFAS, it was just, hey, you get to shadow Mike and Bill all day, take notes, and if you have questions, let us know. Now it's like so much more formal. But the great thing about the internship process beyond hopefully them being changed for the rest of their lives, right, and positively impacted by it, is the fact that if we are in a position where we want to hire somebody, now I've got 12 to 16 weeks of film yeah. on this person. And like, I'm just at a point where the X's and O's person may or may not be the person that I hire. I'm going to hire 95% of the time now on personality, on likability, on curiosity. Like, that's what I want. First off, you have to be able to work as part of our team, right? And it's different the way we do things. I'm not going to micromanage you. You've been at IFAST. I'm not going to sit there and like mean mug you while you're on the floor and like grade your coaching. Like, no, you've got a lot of rope, a lot of autonomy. So I expect you to take, take full advantage of that in the, the best way possible. But it all comes down to the person in front of me. Are they curious? Do they ask questions? Do they want to get better? Are they willing to be a good teammate? Are they willing to step up and, and just, you know, be an adult? <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that like sounds really basic, but just be an adult, be a good person. It's not really that hard. Like those are the things that I'm looking for when I'm hiring at this point. Great stuff. And uh, just for the listeners too, like how many like of your interns have like gone on to like professional sports and like just unbelievable like yeah. positions in so many organizations. Like IFAS is just like a hub. It's, it's been pretty cool here lately. Um, so the last three people that have gotten hired away from us have one went to the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA Two others got hired by Google, so they are trainers out there now. Um, we've got another guy who's working in the Atlanta Braves organization. We had another guy that was working in the Pirates organization. We've got three or four that have gone on to open their own gym successfully, so it's been really cool. And, and we're at a point now where legitimately I get emails fairly regularly from either professional sports, um, from other high-level clubs, and they're just like, hey... If you got somebody, an intern you don't want or somebody you're not going to hire, give us their name because we'd be interested in taking them. So that makes you feel really good, right? It makes you feel like, hey, we're teaching people you know, the right things. People are seeing our interns as valuable, as somebody that they can go and, and plug and play immediately into their systems. And I mean, I think one of the best things is we've had a handful, probably eight to 10 now, interns that have interned at IFAST and then turned around either the, the following semester or two semesters later and gone and interned at Cressy's. And I think that's like the creme de la creme, right? Because we're never going to pump out the volume that Cressy has, especially like in their winter, like their winners are bananas. But I think you get so much time and so much attention with your, when you're with us. Yeah. And then Eric and Pete, hopefully know, because again, they've taken eight to 10 of them, know that when they get one of our, our at one of our coaches or our former interns that they can put them on the floor day one. They may not do everything exactly like they would want it coached or, or executed at CSP, but they know that like, they're not going to have to handhold that person and teach them from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been pretty cool. It's just seeing that evolution and seeing that, you know, other facilities, other teams, they want our interns or they want our coaches because they know that they can take them day one and put them in and start getting value out of them. 
or you could do Conor Ryan intern at my boys training conditioning Cressy yes. performance uh, well it was Cressy performance and it's now Cressy sports performance but you could do Conor Ryan intern at my boys training conditioning Cressy sports performance and I fast oh yeah yeah and now that you mention it if we're counting PT people I mean now we're going Atlanta Hawks we're talking Coyotes Memphis Grizzlies um Atlanta Hawks <clears throat> Sacramento Kings like yeah, when we expand it and we include PT and strength coach interns, I think we're we're pretty prolific at this point. So it makes me feel good. I can't believe Lance left. I thought he was going to be there forever. Yeah, man, he needed to though. I love yeah. Lance, but it was the best thing for him. He lived in Indianapolis too long. Spread the wings. He spread the wings, man. I'm so happy for that kid. He's an awesome human being. Something you uh, you touched on. This is just slight digression, but it's just talking about interns and about hiring too. And it's like, it really resonated with me because I think I fall into this trap as well. And I don't know if you have as well, where you sort of spoke about a common thing you can kind of see with some, maybe it was some interns you had, but it was sort of a, a characteristic you hoped you wouldn't see. And it was like, you know, they kind of come towards the end and they get a bit comfortable and now they kind of start projecting into the future rather than being present. Mm-hmm. And like, I think a lot of us do that. We're like, oh, uh, like, See, see where I'm here at now? This isn't where I'm meant to be. You know, where I'm meant to be is, you know, such and such in the future. And it's kind of like you don't really own the responsibilities you have right now in the present and like be sure. the best you can be where you are right now. And I just read this book by John Wooden, his, his book. Oh, yeah. And there was a, a line in here, and I said, This is Mike Robertson 101. <laughs> and he said this He goes, No member of the team should be allowed to let future opportunities distract from present responsibilities and i was like that is that. such a perfect line i was like mike would love that because yeah. I, I i've seen that too and listen i've done it too where you know you're in a certain coaching role or a position like when i was younger and you're like ah this is only short term and when you're telling yourself that you're not giving 100 percent to the individuals around you you know because yeah. you're projecting into the future and then what you don't realize is you're not going to get to that future position because the way you're behaving right now like yeah. So it's always about putting your best forward. And I remember you mentioned that in one of your podcasts as well. And that just resonated with me. And then when I read that quote and then I heard you just talking about the interns, it just reminded me to tell you that. No, I love that. It's, I, I'm a big believer that if, if you just maximize every opportunity that you're given, you will get where you're destined to be. Yeah. Right. Like maximize every position. Uh, so again, getting, getting ready to start promoting this, this certification. Like when I think back, like, and first off, I've been doing this a long time, like 20 years feels like forever at this point. But, but I think about all the stops, right? Like volunteer strength coach. So when I was doing my master's program, I volunteered, like I went from intern to volunteer strength coach because I didn't even have my own teams. So I don't even know if they wanted me there, right? I just kept coming back because I knew this, this was what I wanted to do. So I went from volunteer strength coach to working in a rehab facility. Well, I had no background in rehab. But, you know, I, I use that opportunity, right? I, I learned about anatomy. Like when you were reading those early T Nation articles, that was me learning about anatomy, learning about corrective exercise, like learning about assessments. And then I go and I do three years of in-home one-on-one. Like, man, it was far from straight and narrow, right? It was like the pinball machine approach to get to where I'm at now. But I think one thing that I did was I always tried to maximize and leverage wherever I was at. And I took those those experiences and i use them as learning opportunities man definitely got to get you back on to 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 share with the listeners more about your background story because i love your background story you know from like you know from the time that you interned ball state wasn't it yeah you got it man 
Ball State, and then uh, then you you went to that clinic, and like you you like you remember saying like you weren't fulfilled by it, but like you made the most of it, and learned an awful yeah. lot about anatomy and assessment. And then when you went purely online, and you were like just oh, playing yeah. video games online, and you're like, you know, I really miss coaching now. All of a sudden, yeah, that that lasted about two and a half months between my totally jacked up schedule of playing video games until three in the morning, um, waking up around eleven or twelve, working out working for maybe like two hours until my wife got home. Yeah, that just wasn't, that wasn't super fulfilling either. I thought it would be, but it most definitely was not. So, Right, bro. Listen, uh, I have 11 minutes. And okay. I want you to, and listen, I, listen, I could talk to you all day. It's just my know today. Um, and like, you know, you're such a fucking busy guy too. And the fact <laughs> that you, 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 you're the one who's got time, but it's great. I really do want you to finally touch on family because I do listen to your podcast. I haven't been listening to it a lot lately and that's not because I haven't been listening to you. It's been listening to just podcasts in general lately. Yeah. I've just been so bogged down with my masters and to be honest, I've been listening to a lot of anatomy physiology stuff as well because that's where my studies are. But I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and your episodes and you know, you, you have spoken about your family an awful lot and I, I actually, I love your, your, like, your bits at the start where you give an insight into your life. I just love that. Um, and I anyone who listens to that can tell how much you're a family man and how much your family means to you and you always speak about team robertson and so from one human or from one man to another i fully respect you know your love and devotion to your family and the fact that they're number one priority i think that's fantastic because to me and it always sounds weird coming from a single uh you know white-skinned irish guy who's a bachelor <laughs> uh, right. ladies if you're listening uh, <laughs> But like I, I always fully appreciate men who, who see their most important job and role in life as being, you know, a, a spouse, a best friend to their wife. Uh, like, and I don't even like the word parent, a mentor to their child, yes. you know, to their children. Yep. And, and realizing that they're doing the best that they can and they're not a flawless individual. So I really do respect the love that you share uh, to, you know, share to your listeners that you have for your family. So I want to just get your final thoughts on work-life balance. I know that's a, you know, it's a, it's an eye rolling term. Like, you know, it's kind of, you know, whatever people want to make of it, but how do you balance your schedule of being someone who's so driven in our field with regards to like the, the, the amount of content you put out, like the coaching certifications coming out now. And like, if anyone wants to just go to Mike's website, which we link in the show notes, and just like click products. Like you'll just be like, holy crap. And they're all quality, quality video quality, information is quality, always been. Um, yeah, so just how do you balance all that with, you know, being a husband, being a best friend to your partner, your wife, being a great mentor to your kids, having this business of iFast, like actually being in the trenches, still coaching in person, and then all this production do on, on, um, in terms of online products and then speaking engagements. Share, share it with us. Yeah. So I think one thing that, that I always try and hang my hat on is this saying, and I'm sure I stole it from somebody, but it's, it's all in, all day, every day. And what I mean by that is, like you said, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be there, right? And I'm going to be focused on it. So right now, I gave you two hours, however long, you know, like we were going to talk. I knew, like, man, it's me and Robbie. Like, I don't have my phone on. I'm not checking Twitter or thinking about, you know, whatever I got to do later. It's, this is your time, right? And that's how I try and do everything. And I, I realize sometimes that could probably be frustrating to certain people around me. So like, there's times when I'm in the gym and maybe one of my staff wants to talk to me or something and I'm working on something, but that's because 
for me, it all comes down to scheduling and prioritizing, right? Like every, I don't want to say every second, but most of my day is scheduled the day in advance, right? Or in this case, like months in advance. So I always come back to number one, what are your priorities? And you have to set that very clearly. It's like writing a training program, right? If you don't have a priority, like what are you going to actually accomplish? So for me, it sounds silly, especially when you gave me that brilliant little piece right there talking about me. But the first thing for me is I have to take care of myself. And, and that's like counterintuitive for a lot of people. But it's like, I know if I don't eat the right stuff, if I don't get enough rest, if I don't train appropriately, like if I don't do the things necessary, if I don't, you know, get the continuing education and like the mental stuff that I need in on a regular basis, I'm not a great person to be around. So I have to take care of myself first. I know very clearly, number two, after I take care of myself is my family. And it's just not a question, right? Like if if I fast burn down tomorrow and Bill said, whatever, I'm going to Florida and okay, like I could start over doing something else or whatever, as long as I have my family or we got this amazing opportunity and we moved to Australia or England or wherever, as long as I have my family, I'm good. So that's very clear, right? And then the third piece for me, and this is still valuable, it doesn't mean it's less important, but like my career is, is important for me. And I think the way that I find balance is knowing that my role is, is dual. It's dual in the fact that I've got like this very like intimate, high level role when it comes to my clients, my athletes, my staff at the gym, because I have this deeper connection with them, right? I'm there, I see them face to face. We go through the, the struggles and the ups and downs together. But I also have this secondary role that I feel is within our industry. And I feel compelled to try and drive our industry up to a higher level, right? Because I mean, you've seen it. It's like, on one hand, we have access to so much great information. And there's so many brilliant people out there. And on the other hand, we've got people that are learning from, you know, this dude because he's got a six pack or this girl because her ass is sticking out in every Instagram video that she does. So it's like, I just feel really compelled to make our industry a better place, to give people a filter that they can work through, to help people have a better understanding of, look, like this is how the body moves. And just because this person said this 20 years ago and these other people are still regurgitating it, that doesn't make it right, right? They, they, there's so much great information out there. So that's how I find this balance is I, I'm constantly, I feel compelled to do whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. So if I'm at work, I'm all in at work because I love working with people when I'm working on the certification or I'm on the podcast or I'm shooting a video. It's like, man, I know how this can impact people. But then come four o'clock, because that's when I shut it down most days. I know at four o'clock, that is done. Like work is done. I am with my family until eight, eight thirty, whenever the kids go to bed, Jess and I have our time. You know, maybe if I have more work, I'll do it on the back end. Like that's the one nice thing about being an entrepreneur. Like the, the, the saying is, oh, you just get to choose the 16 hours a day that you work. Like I may not work 16 hours, but you know, I can set my schedule in a way that, that fashions me and that works within the lifestyle that I want to have. Mm. So that's how I find balance. And it's, it's a lot of output, right? Like I, it, I give off a lot of energy every day, but it's only because I'm incredibly passionate about helping our industry, helping my clients and athletes, being with my family, being like you said, being my wife's best friend, being a mentor to my children, trying to give them the time and attention that they deserve. So 
I don't know if that's kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but that's, that's what drives me. That's what keeps me going. That's a fantastic answer. And there's so many good principles you can pull from that. So become very clear on your priorities and your core values. Yeah. And, and another piece I love than that is that you put yourself first. Like Paul check has a great saying. He's like, you can't share it if you don't wear it. Yeah. So, you know, like how can you share unconditional love if you're not working? Now don't say that you have it, but you're not working on that for yourself. I mean, Absolutely. if you, if you don't like yourself, you know, how do you think you're going to be around others? You know, how do you think others are going to, yeah. think other people are going to like you if you don't like yourself? And I'm not, and I say that in a way that it's, we're always continually working on with ourselves. It's not a destination. It's, it's a continual journey. But Mike, that's a, I really appreciate that. And just one little quick question for me to you in, in terms of being present. And by the way, I truly do appreciate you making time today. And I, you know, yeah, of course. It, you know, you blocked off the time. It reminds me too of Jocko Willink, you know, discipline equals freedom. I'm very much like yeah. you too. I'm, I'm very much a scheduled person. And, and as you kind of alluded to there, that can kind of be a bit annoying to people. So like, you know, if you said to me, oh, do you want to do this tomorrow? I'm like, I can't, man. That day has been scheduled. Like, right. like my tomorrow has been scheduled a long time in advance. Like you need to let me <laughs> right. know in advance. Right. And it, for me, it's just, again, like as Jocko says, discipline equals freedom. But my last little question to you is, how like what strategies have you used to work on being more present is it just something you've just worked on or like have you done any meditation yeah like how have you worked on being more present so you hit the nail on the head there meditation has been huge for me it's something that i dabbled with a lot probably four to five years ago kind of in and out of it but didn't really buy in and like over the last year and a half two years it's been a really key component for me uh, so meditation has been huge. And then I think the other thing is just, man, just removing distractions. Yeah. So like when it comes to removing distractions, doing what you need to be doing, you know, turning the phone off or putting it in airplane mode. Uh, I think I stole this from like James Clear or somebody, but like when you're working, turning off all notifications on your, because I mean, the beauty of connectivity is you're connected, but that's also the downside to it. So like turning off all notifications and taking everything in full screen. So like if I'm in Word, it's full screen. So I don't have, I can't see Chrome and Safari and iTunes and all these other things. It's like, no, I'm working on this product or I'm working on this project right now. So I think little stuff like that, removing distractions because like that's how I'm sure these app companies and cell phones and all that, that's how they make their money, right? Mm. It's distractions. It's occupying more of your time. It's taking your attention. Yeah. So it's, it's our job to try and reclaim our own attention and focus and that in turn will help you be more present. Mike, this has been absolutely amazing. I definitely want to get back on because there's so much more like I, I really do want to talk to you about. Probably I'd love to do an episode more, maybe just getting into again, like your sort of life structure and balance. And yeah. I, think, I think a lot of coaches, and not even coaches, but just people listening could take a lot away from that. Um, that. Two final things. Okay. One is um, you spoke about just in that previous answer about you, you're, you know, you're sort of, the, the feeling you have of responsibility to our coaching profession. And it's so funny. If you haven't listened to Eric's interview with Scott Livingston, he said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. He said the exact same thing that he feels he has a responsibility to our profession now because he's so well known as someone who produces a lot of products. And it was just yep. funny that you feel the same thing too. Cause I, I, I kind of felt that you hadn't listened or hadn't chance because it only literally just came out yesterday or the day before. So uh, it was funny that Eric said the exact same thing. That's awesome. Final thing, where can people find out more about you? I know that you, you, you have so many offerings in terms of your, you know, I mean, 
going to your gym and being a member if, if anyone's yeah. in the locality but in terms of your your products your online products you know you offer mentorships and now you have this new online coaching certification and like people can be like oh here comes a plug listen when if you have a quality product never be ashamed to put it out there and i'm yeah. telling you i mike has been one of my early mentors in this field since 2008 we're going on so almost 12 years Awesome. and we're getting old <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah as i said i used to read all his t-nation articles i have magnificent mobility with eric i have building the efficient athlete i have your single leg solution i have physical prep 101 i have the elite athletic the development seminar series that you've done with um uh fucking oh, Joe Ken. yeah house with house yeah, yeah with Joe Ken. House. So, like, man i have so much of your shit and it's you know and it's really good shit so uh finally where can people find out more about you and everything you got going on and i'll plug it all into the show notes yeah the the easiest and i'll give you two if you just want all free stuff robertsontrainingsystems.com i always joke around like you could hang out on that site for the rest of your life never buy anything and get a constant stream of information (laughs) whether it's articles podcasts videos like that is the hub so go there check it out see if you like it Second place is the complete coach certification. And that is, and complete coach certification.com. That is literally, we talk about trying to raise the industry. That's what I'm trying to do with this certification. It's pretty much everything that I know when it comes to the anatomy that you need to know and understand how breathing impacts movement. We get into our seven and how we write programs, how we run effective coaching sessions, how to coach exercises effectively progressions, regressions. I mean, it's like the most, if it's not the most all-encompassing thing out there, I want to find out what is and I want to take notes and then try and recreate it again because I put so much time and effort into this and I really hope it's going to make, again, every coach and trainer that invests in it a better trainer or coach as a result. Absolutely love it. Mike, uh, you're a legend. And I said, I really wish I had more time, but just the way the schedule is today. (laughs) Yeah, man. Hey, let's set it up again, dude. Yeah. In about three weeks, my schedule is going to be a lot lighter. So hit me up, man. We'll do a second one. Absolutely. Listen, I'll say a quick goodbye here to the listeners, then I'll say a quick goodbye to the offline. So for everyone listening, an absolute quality interview with an absolute legend of a human being. So appreciate everyone's earbuds. Until next time, peace.